it off. Sutter is up with it there. Right around in front. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Leading goal scorer on the team. Drew one in front. It's the TC Martin Show. A tie game on the power play. Hodgson was at the front of the net. They are even. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. A power play goal by the captain. TC Martin. It's brushed on back by Richard Fuchs. Right up front. Younger fan inside of the net. now in and a good friday afternoon to you tc martin ballpark frank here we are live at sunset station in the stn sports studios here at sunset station by the sports book of course club madrid uh, our friday home here during the summertime and glad to be with you here as we get ready for a raucous night expected in the fortress that's right game number three tonight the Colorado Avalanche in town, they have a 2-0 lead over the Vegas Golden Knights, and uh, it is basically do-or-die time for the Knights. What is going to happen? We will be breaking it down, analyzing it, diagnosing it from all angles today. And uh, yes, we've got Chuck Esposito here at Sunset Station. He is going to join us a little bit later on. Marco D'Angelo in the house from Wager Talk, our horse racing expert as well, too, because it is the Belmont Stakes coming tomorrow as well too so love having marco on the program and of course the better looking part of our staff will be here a little bit later on and that is the lovely not numchuck obviously dr christina madison yes she will join us today as well too here live from sunset station so a lot to cover a lot to talk about including the nba playoffs and we can say Say la vie to LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers as well. And are we going to be able to say the same thing after tonight to Kawhi Leonard and the L.A. Clippers? So we'll take a look at all of that with you. All right. Might be time to start booking some concerts at the Staples Center. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're, going to, you're going to need that, right? Because you have no tenants. Well, now, 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 now that you can start putting people in venues yeah. again, it's time to start using them. How, how about that? You know, here we are in June, and the lone basketball tenant is uh, probably the L.A. Sparks. There you go. And they're not having such a great uh, season themselves. But, yeah, Clippers, Lakers, Sparks. Lakers and the Kings don't. did their part by just not even trying to yeah. make the playoffs. Yeah, they didn't even show you know, they, they don't. They don't actually play <laughs> NHL hockey in uh, California. I think they have uh, three NHL teams that are really uh, AHL teams, and they have about three or four AHL teams as well. So they should just have their own California AHL league because that's about the way that their NHL teams perform. <laughs> this is true. All right, uh, let's get it cracking here. Let's start talking about oh, Seattle, huh? number three tonight. Not that cracking. <laughs> oh, okay. No. Let's get cracking. Marco D'Angelo, my man, thank you for uh, joining us here today. It must be a big horse racing day if Marco D'Angelo is on the program. Uh, yes, it is. It's Belmont weekend, and uh, obviously uh, there will be no Bob Baffert horses in New York. and. None in Kentucky either for the next two years. Right. So, okay, we'll dive into that, but we want to talk some hockey with you as well. Of course, Marco handicaps it all. It doesn't matter. Baseball, basketball, football, horse racing. We've got it all covered uh, here today. So let's uh, start talking about tonight's game. The Colorado Avalanche trying to take a commanding lead in this series, already up two games to none. But like we've been talking about, hey, they did exactly what they're supposed to do. They won both games on home ice, game one rather handily. Of course, 7-1, to one, you can make all the excuses you want. Like we've been talking about all week for the Golden Knights, a tired team coming off that seven-game marathon against the Minnesota Wild. So, yes, that Sunday's game was expected. But then they get the extra day's rest because the Nuggets were playing at the Ball Arena, formerly the Pepsi Center, formerly something else before that. And uh, so game number two Wednesday night, the Golden Knights outshot the Colorado Avalanche. You can make the argument basically they outplayed the Avalanche, but not on the scoreboard. 3-2 the final in OT. So now the series comes to T-Mobile Arena in front of 18,000 screaming fans. It will be wild. It will be raucous. It will be crazy. And for the first time in Golden Knights history, even though it's a brief one, four years, they are down 2 nothing in a series. So what are we going to expect tonight? Because I know that the Golden Knights are, are fired up about playing at home, and they're going to have that crowd on their side. And you can utilize that crowd to your advantage, as we know. 
But sometimes, guys, it can be a detriment as well, too. And if they start playing for the crowd, then that could backfire, especially against a team like Colorado, who can skate circles around you, and especially with you know McKinnon and company, what they have there. It could be a scary time. We've seen the Golden Knights jump out to early leads at home, but you know they're going to be fired up. Yes, they've got revenge on their mind. And, and let's remember, and we talked about this a lot, Frank, going back to that that home game against the Colorado Avalanche during the regular season where the Golden Knights lost 2-1, to one, this was a game they should have won, they, they could have won, and they would have had home ice advantage had they won that game. So there's a lot of revenge factors here going. And, and plus, again, you're in a 2 nothing hole. It's a must-win situation for the Knights tonight. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's very important to win this game. You certainly don't want to go down 3 nothing. Teams have come back before, but it's an incredible hill to climb, especially against a team as talented as Colorado. As far as the crowd, yeah, they're looking forward to the crowd and that, but they can't worry about the crowd. If it pumps them up a little or if it gets in the in the heads of Colorado, good for them. But the bottom line is they better be ready to play the Colorado Avalanche and find a way to win this game. They need to win this game. You don't go down 3 nothing again. It's technically not over. But winning four in a row against the Avs, that would be incredibly difficult. And Colorado's coming in here with one thing in mind. They want to split. If they win tonight, they're totally playing with house money. Hmm. But Vegas has to be ready. I think Marc-Andre Fleury is going to be ready. Uh, we know that he's ready. But Grubauer's been playing good as well. And they have to do more than just stop that top line. As great as Rantanen, McKinnon, and Landis are, Cal McCarr, Taves, some I mean, they have a lot of talent on this team. Colorado's there for a reason. And you mentioned that game that basically decided the President's Cup. They lost it the 2-1. to one. They lost that game because of a situation they put themselves in. And I know a lot of people don't want to realize that. They only had 15 skaters in that right. game because of the salary cap issues that they basically, that was that was made by the team themselves. They couldn't play everybody on the team. That last goal that Colorado got by Comfer, that was at the end of the game when there was a bad line change. You right. could tell that they were a little yeah. bit yeah. tired. And, you know, it's only one game, but it was a huge game at the time. Vegas isn't dead by any stretch. They win both of these games, and then it comes down to a best of three. And we know that both teams are capable of winning on the road. But, uh, yeah, this is a very important game tonight. Again, I'm not going to say it's do or die but it's do or life support. Oh, no, no. I, I'm a, it is do or die. 100% is do or die because if you get behind 3 nothing, this series is over. The line, and we talked you know, uh, yesterday with Nick Bogdanovich, he said it's minus 700 right now for the Colorado Avalanche to win the series. Now they could flip when it's, if it's 2-1 just like that. So if you believe the Knights can come back, now is the the chance for you to go ahead and take the Knights on the series. You have you know, plus 450, 500, or whatever it is. But the bottom line is, yes, this is do or die. It is a must win. And people that don't think that, I mean, you're mistaken. Again, you're you're going against a team that is six and zero in the playoffs right now. But are they six and zero because they played the St. Louis Blues, who were on life support and really showed nothing? And of course, they got the Golden Knights in that advantageous situation in Game One, where they were tired and and they blew them out seven to one. And they won a game. Maybe you could argue that maybe they shouldn't have won the Avalanche. So again, I think the Golden Knights are live here. Uh, we're getting basically to pick them. Uh, if you got them early a couple days ago, you could have got them at, at, at plus money. So I think yes, must-win situation for the Golden Knights. If they don't win, this series is over. You're not coming back three nothing to Colorado. Absolutely. In the adage in any sports, when you talk about seven-game series, it's not a series until the home team loses a game. So we still have the series here. This all comes down to the situation where the Knights didn't take care of business against Minnesota when they were up 3-1. to one. They got themselves in a situation where they had to go seven games. Colorado got to be rested. And then it put DeBoer in a tough situation where I knew he was going to start Leonard before it was announced because – Flurry needed a break. But then by starting him and when he got peppered early, you couldn't then pull him. And if that was a regular season game, you pull the goalie. You don't let him get peppered the way he did in that game. But he couldn't do it because he needed to get Flurry the rest. So Yeah, the only way that he could have done it is Logan Thompson or somebody that he had a different backup besides Flurry that game, which he didn't. Right. 
good point. Uh, but it's a situ- situation for them in the tired legs. And remember, the other factor, we knew that it was a quick turnaround. But that was even more so because now you're doing it in the altitude. You know, we look at the altitude in sports handicapping all the time. It's an advantage for teams going in in basketball. That's a big angle if a team plays back-to-back nights when they go into Denver and so forth. You know, you're going to have that fatigue factor. And when you watch the game, Colorado's a quick skating team as it is. And then you put them against a team that's tired. I, I mean, it looked like we were we had blocks around our, our skates going in the game. But game two was lost with all of the uh, penalties that they had. The power plays, the energy that was spent in staving off all of those power plays, you know, you're using your best guys to try to kill the penalty and stay in the game, and it limits your uh, scoring opportunities. And that was the difference of the game. They played too good to lose game two the way they did. Yeah, in game number two, they the Knights played tough. They played inspired, and they actually played fresh. But the thing they didn't do is play smart, and to your point, six penalties. You cannot have six penalties in any game, let alone a playoff game on the road, especially when you just got whacked 7-1 to one two days or three days before that. So to me, that was the, the key difference. I mean, you've got to be able – you can't stave off all those penalties, and then you get one you know, early on, whether DeBoer wants to say it was soft, it was a cheap one or whatever, but the bottom line was it was a slashing call, it was called, and, you know, you're not, you're not going to kill them all off. And 207 into the overtime, boom, now you're down 2 nothing. But they did not play smart. And, again, I think oh, that's why I said what I said to open the show about if you're going to play in front of that crowd and you get a little careless, a little reckless, reckless to get that adrenaline going, that is not going to play well against a team like the Avalanche. Bottom line is... They have to play smarter hockey tonight. Yeah, and, and, and I agree with you on those points there. And I just want to clarify something, too, when, when I'm just not ready to sell in on the do or die like you guys have been saying. Yes, it's incredibly difficult to come back. But the guy on the Golden Knights bench, Pete DeBoer, had a 3 nothing lead in San Jose, which was the best team in hockey that year against the L.A. Kings, and lost four straight. So it's not like the season's going to be over and they're not going to play the last four. It's incredibly difficult. It's rare, though. It it is incredibly rare. But that's why I'm not willing to jump on the do or die, but that's why I said it's do or life support. It has been done. It's happened in baseball. It's happened in, in the NHL before. It's incredibly rare. But, yes, they definitely want this. And, again, if they win tonight, it doesn't mean that they're right back in it. They need to win both of these games. Because if they win tonight and lose tomorrow, it's almost like what's the difference between that of, of losing tonight and then winning the, the game on Sunday? You know, it doesn't matter. They need to have both of these. They can't go down 3-1. to one. Certainly you don't want to go down 3 nothing. But even with these two games here this weekend, tonight and Sunday, you can't go down 3-1 to one and expect to win three, three in a row against the Colorado Avalanche. It can happen, but you're then putting yourself in a situation where you need to win twice in their building? I mean, that's why if you want to say the do or die, I'd say, well, then it's the same case for both of these games. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really semantics that we're talking about. Bottom line is, if, if you, as a player or a coach, if, if you're down 3 nothing, you don't want to be down 3 nothing. So oh, absolutely you, you exactly. don't. You don't want to be so. You don't want to be you, down 2 nothing. You this have team's to never been down 2 it, nothing it, it, in their history. That's why game two was so important. And that's why they're kicking themselves because they did outshoot them. They had most of the play. They had their opportunities. They, they hit three posts alone in the third period. So, yeah, it just. And they didn't know, convert so on their power I don't think play it matters it, you know, what vernacular you use. Bottom line is, you're not. And I'll just point blank ask you do you think they win the series? If they're down 3 nothing, are they going to win the series? No, I don't they're think so. They're not going to win so. the series. That's it. Yeah, there's no way in the world. But, and but I, then I didn't 3-1 think, either. They're not going to win the series. But I, I thought Colorado was going to win the series at the start of it. Yeah, my, my so if they're is, down 3 yeah, nothing, they're so, certainly not, I, I don't think. Yeah. But I, all I'm saying is it, is, it has happened before. And, you know, if they do lose tonight, think about this. Pete DeBoer has the opportunity, one that he certainly doesn't want to have, but he has the opportunity to be a coach of a team that had a 3-0 lead and lost in the playoffs and then a team that was down 3-0 and could possibly win a playoff series. Now, he doesn't want to be put in that situation, but he does theoretically and technically have that opportunity. <laughs> yeah, it's, you go back and you look at the shots on goal from game two, the 41-25 to edge. And when you consider how far they were behind on shots on goal after the first period, because the entire first period – Basically, was spent killing right, penalties. Right. You know, so you're not getting shots on goal in the first period, and yet they were that dominant. And like you said, 
you know, the phrase in sports all the time, you know, it's a game of inches. Well, it definitely was for the Golden Knights, as you said. Three shots hit the pipe the way it did. Any one of those three could have went in the in the net in game. We wouldn't have been in overtime, and game would have been over. But it is what it is, uh, you know. And go back to the end of you know. I hate to keep going to game one, but it's had a trickle down effect. Ryan Reeves gets the you know gets that you know uh, hit and you know is suspended. That hurts us as well. You need your enforcer mm-hmm. on the ice, uh, and they miss him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. You know, Ryan Reeves out uh, for one more game here. Um, well, so- and, and it's interesting that you bring up that analogy because how we're saying teams taking advantage and capitalizing on opportunity and teams not. Vegas missed Ryan Reeves. Well, the enforcer for Colorado is going to be out almost this entire season in Nazem Kadri. They knew that going into it, but he's not eligible to play until a game seven. They found a way to avert that and not make it a negative and still change lines around and do stuff. Vegas had the power play at the end of the third period in that last game. They didn't convert. Whether it was Grubauer, they didn't have the right chances, hitting posts, whatever the reason. They had the chance to win in regulation. Then they get the penalty against them. Was it soft? Was it not? Doesn't matter. It was called. That's the bottom line. Colorado did convert. So Colorado was taking their negatives, and they found a way to look past them and win the games. That's what Vegas has to do now. There's no more complaining about officials or soft holding the sticks or embellishing calls or something. They need to go out and play Vegas Golden Knights hockey, whatever they perceive that to be. And for them, it better not be just trying to outskate them on the ice like you do with Anaheim and San Jose and L.A. because this team is too damn good for that. They need to play smart, intelligent hockey, get the puck out of the zone, find a way to get it in, and get quality shots and get butts in front of the net to get those dirty, greasy, nasty goals. Because, yeah, Grubauer was really good, but once again, how many quality rebound chances did they have in that game? Not enough. And the thing about it is the narrative can change from game to game. And we go back to the Minnesota series when the Golden Knights were up 3-1. to one. It's like, pff, just a matter of time. I mean, I even said, yeah, why is Minnesota even bothering getting on the plane You know, for game number five? Next, next thing is 3-2, and it's 3-3. Three, three. And then here we go. We got a highly competitive game seven where you're flipping a coin and saying, hey, I, we don't know what's going to happen here. And, again, I thought game one, very predictable. Game two, we knew the Knights were going to play better than game one, and they did, and basically it came down to – a penalty in overtime, it was anybody's game. Would it surprise anyone if the Golden Knights come out here and win 5-1 or 6-2 tonight? Wouldn't surprise any of us because the Golden Knights have beaten Colorado. They shut out Grubauer before. Yeah. You know, they, they, they beat him 3-0. They've won games. Like I said, uh, coming into this series, they played eight times. It was 4-4. And, uh, yeah, you know, they beat their backup, you know, rather handily, you know, four or five weeks ago. But they beaten Grubauer as well, too. So it wouldn't be shocking to see the Golden Knights, you know, show up here, especially with Pacioretty and Stone and having these guys back now. And, sure, they're missing players. You know, of course, you know, Reeves. You know, that's big. McNabb, probably even bigger. Now there's a question whether Tuck will play tonight or not. Got to yeah, believe. because he didn't skate today. Yeah. And Pete DeBoer said everybody that wasn't on the ice is a game-time decision. Yeah. Now that's probably not true. He's Marti- Martinez wasn't out there either. Right. Well, Martinez hasn't practiced his entire playoffs, but he's still t- – if Martinez isn't on the ice – Boy, that guy is banged up and hurt because he is a consummate professional. Yeah. He, you know, put duct tape on it, put a little spray in it, and let's get out there and do it. So, but you know, but there is question marks. And yeah, McNabb, I don't, I think he's still on COVID protocol. So, you know, he's obviously not a game time decision. But again, Pete DeBoer is going to be using coach speech. That's what he does. How much trouble are the Golden Knights in as we sit here right now? Much or not? They're in trouble in, you know, we're here in Vegas and, you know, we talk betting. We're here at Stacia's Casino. And, you know, when you talk with Chuck later in the show, my question would be to him, knowing the fan base that you have here, because this is a different element now that we've had since the Golden Knights came to Vegas. When you're setting a number, we didn't have a home team. Yeah, Yeah, we had UNLV basketball and such, but not to the magnitude that we have with the Golden Knights. You know there's going to be an onslaught of the locals are going to bet the Knights tonight. But you have to put a number out that you're dealing with the Sharps that do this for a living. And so when I see the number that this line is a pick'em, that scares me a lot. 
okay? Because they know there's going to be Vegas money coming in, and they're willing to put this up at a pick'em because I think the sharp money's coming the other way. Yeah, right, right. And again, it it opened with the Golden Knights as a dog, and it when and we talked about this yesterday. How often have we seen the Golden Knights? I mean, anything less than a dollar fifty or a dollar sixty in a home game. Now, some of these regular season games against these schmucks like Frank mentioned with Anaheim and the Kings and the Coyotes and that sort of thing. I mean, w- virtually we're getting to close to three dollars on some of these things. We've saw two twenties, two forties, two sixties. You know, some even higher than that. But you know, with the Avalanche. So if you like the Golden Knights and you believe, hey, they played well enough to win game number two. I'm getting them in a pick them. 18,000 screaming maniacs must win game for them. Most important game of the year. And for the most part, I mean, they're getting their scores that are back or healthy together. Yeah, I think I think that's a, a live play. But you're right. It's hard to go against Colorado. But if you go back and you look at Colorado prior to that St. Louis series and look at the matchups with the Golden Knights, the Golden Knights have they won four out of eight. And, and they won a couple by multiple goals. Yeah, it's also going to be interesting tonight. One of the things that I'm going to watch right out of the gate is how is the game being called? Because Pete DeBoer has now put it in the officials' heads that Colorado's embellishing. They have one hand on their stick instead of two. So if you slash them, they might drop a stick. Somebody might go down to the ice or something. Are they swallowing their whistles like we see in playoff games, or are they calling them? If Vegas gets three or four penalties in the first period again, that's a very, very bad sign for the Vegas Golden Knights. If we see a penalty-free first period, but it's still physicality and guys are, you know, ramming each other into the boards and it's getting nasty in front of the nets and we see a couple of uh, little scrums and some face washing in that, that's probably good for Vegas because they're letting the physicality go. And I'm not talking cheap side stuff in that, but even like just stupid penalties. Jonathan Marshall is a terrific hockey player. And one of the reasons he's terrific is because he plays with so much emotion. But sometimes that emotion can get him to cause a stupid penalty or something. They've got to keep it in check. They've got to play smart. If you can get somebody from Colorado upset or something and maybe get them to do something stupid, you know, maybe you hit Graves in the back of the leg a little bit when an official's not looking or something, and maybe he turns around and cold cocks somebody or something because he's been frustrated or whatever. You know, if you can get them to do the stuff that you're trying to not do yourself, then then it's an advantage, a big-time advantage there. But I'm really curious tonight to see how the game is officiated. Yeah, no question about it. To me, generally, when you have so much attention on the referees, the way a game was called, you see it go flip the other way mm-hmm. in the next yes. game. It's human nature, yes. and that's what I would expect. And especially, you know, you don't want to say it, but home teams generally, you know, will get the you get know, the breaks. If it's yeah. a judgment call, they're not going to say that, but generally, it's going to go that way. And being two zero, hey. I don't want to play this conspiracy theory, but the NHL wants to see this. They don't want to see this a 4-0 sweep. Right, right. They want to see this series go deep because it's unfortunate because of the format. We have probably the two best teams in hockey playing now that shouldn't be playing yet against right. one another. You know, the T-Mobile Arena is known for the raucous crowds, the rock star environment. And again, we have not been able to see a game like that. Now, we've seen 2,000 fans, and it goes up to four to 5,000. Then we saw it go to eight to 10. We saw 12,000 in the last home game. But this will be the first time that we've seen an NHL game this season at capacity at 18,000. Even Colorado, that was hovering around nine or 10,000 fans. So this is going to be electric if you're in the building. But from the players' perspective, even Colorado here coming in, they're going to have to you know, retract, go back two years ago to say, oh, yeah, it's been a while since we've been in an environment like this. It's going to be this way for both teams. How much of an advantage is that for the Golden Knights? From a sound standpoint, factor in one other thing. You said it's the first time it's going to yep. be capacity. It's also going to be the first time you're not screaming and cheering through a mask. True. Very, no, very, no, very. No mask tonight. Right. So, yeah, yeah, it's going to be loud. And I'll be one of them yelling. Very <laughs> game tonight. Yeah. <laughs> well, to me, and you ask me, um, what's the fan crowd noise going to be? If Vegas scores early, it's going to be a huge advantage for them. They can live off of the crowd noise. If Colorado scores early and that gigantic crowd is a little bit quieter than they expect and they have to pump in fake noise because of the stuff of the sound and trying to get them going and things like that, then Colorado can go, all right, let's get another goal and really silence this thing. So I think as much as the crowd is there and it could be a factor, 
I still think the players on the ice are going to determine this game, and I think a lot of it has to do. I know we've seen a lot of games in this playoff where the first goal hasn't been important. I think it means a lot tonight because of the crowd, because of the energy, and even that, I'm curious to see what the ice is like tonight. They haven't had to put ice down in this arena now when it's 108 degrees outside for a while. What is the shape of that ice going to be? We saw the ice get a little bit dicey up there in Game 2 in Colorado. If they don't know how to make an ice in Colorado after all these years, how is it going to be tonight at T-Mobile? That is a great point because that's a flashback to the to the Stanley Cup Finals in 2018. The Stanley we, Cup Finals in 2018. We, we and, and you can go that, this yeah. year, the, the little incident they had up in Tahoe when I believe it was these two teams playing. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. That's true. That's true. Now, they're not going to have a eight-hour delay between the periods, I hope, because, man, I'm going to be tired in the morning yeah. if they do. But that is a factor. I mean, remember that the, the OT was delayed a little bit there in Colorado in the last game because of that. And we're in Denver, Colorado, late at night, too. Yeah, I, I went to a hockey game and a swimming meet broke out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, prediction, Marco, what do you think? My heart says Vegas. My head says Colorado. Does it? All right. So the bed man says <laughs> visiting team. Yeah, and unfortunately, you know, I'm going. I'm going with my wife tonight, and man, it'd be a long night for me if I bet Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> How many times have you been in that position where you're going to a game, you got a ticket, you know, on the other day? And let me ask you this: How often? What's the percentage that you go to games that you actually, no matter what sport it is, have a ticket on it? Okay. There's a difference of having a ticket and having a real ticket. Okay. If I just have, you know. Entertainment purposes only, right? Inter- yeah, just, you know, have fun a little bit. Yeah, I always have one of those in my okay. pocket. Okay. But for the serious is the professional better. Right. No. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. because I, that's one of the things you have to learn as you can't bet just because a game's on TV right. or you're there with your. But, yeah, you can do the old, you know, pizza money bets, so forth, <laughs> you know, have some fun, go have dinner and drinks after the game. Yeah, we always got to have – I got to have a little juice in the game. Come on. <laughs> exactly. So, but is your entertainment purposes only a ticket? Is it a, a pizza ticket or is it a steak dinner ticket? That's what I want to know. It's a steak dinner <laughs> ticket. <laughs> as he pats his stomach, I love it. Uh, my, my, mine would be like a drive-through ticket, at best or something. <laughs> but, you know, but, but yeah, but you know, and, and I want to throw this in real quick too, since since you brought that about having tickets on the game and that sort of stuff. How long before T-Mobile Arena and places out here, Allegiant Stadium, and that start having sports books in them? Because we see it now in Washington with the basketball and hockey. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine? I'm curious to see which is going to be longer, the beer line or the or the betting line. Well, if, if they have that at, at the game, they have it in Denver right now. No, they have it, it in a lot of places. Washington was it, the it, first it, one to right, do it with right, the Capitals right. and the uh, but with the Broncos. They're yeah. doing that there. Yeah, but yeah, and and I'm, I I know it's been going on in tennis and other things like that for a long time. Mm-hmm. But now that they've Open that up here, and we know that the you know different casinos on it are sponsoring teams in the NHL and different things like that. That's gonna you, you talk about a game changer. That's gonna oh I'm going oh oh you got to go to to the restroom again. No, the in game. Look at this. I mean, uh, my I'm not getting good phone service in here. I'm gonna go run up in the line real quick or something. <laughs> hey, remember back in those days because you and I were here back in those days. The arena football league games at the Thomas and Mac. They used to bring in the betting stations, and you could bet there. And some for the major fights as well. The betting stations would be right in the building. I used to love it when they'd have all the college basketball tournaments at the Orleans Arena, and you see halftime yes. between games. Yeah. The whole arena would empty and go to the sports book yeah. from all the crowds from all the teams, and then they'd go back to watch what. They yeah. just bet on yeah. and that sort of stuff because they're like, whoa, I not only traveled here from Iowa, I can bet on the Hawkeyes. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go. But remember, like I said, they would bring those betting stations into the Thomas oh, and yeah. Mac back in those days, which was kind of cool. It was just, you know, very innovative at that point in time. Yeah, but this is yeah. 2021. The beauty is yeah. when we go to the, to phone. the period, you see everybody pull their phone out. They're not taking selfies, okay? <laughs> well, <laughs> the millennials, the millennials might be, but <laughs> well, some people are taking pictures of food. Remember yeah. that, too. Okay. Well, this is true. <laughs> But, uh, yeah. and, and asking where the hot popcorn is. <laughs> it has to be hot. Exactly. Marco D'Angelo is in the house with this, uh, talking Vegas Golden Knights, Colorado Avalanche. If you're going to the game, hey, uh, lucky for you, 7 o'clock face-off uh, tonight. Could get a little delayed because we do have a game at 4.30, so for national television purposes, you know, the, the Jets will be in action uh, again without Mark Shifley, and that's another story uh, in itself. Though, So that's a series with Montreal going on. Yeah, boy, now, now if you are somebody that does believe in conspiracy theories, I'm surprised that somebody hasn't 
put it out there yet of, wow, the NHL really wants Montreal and that fan base to advance, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Shifley with a four-game suspension. So you can basically make the argument that that series is over. Arguably, they lose their best player uh, for four games. And then there's the debate of, okay, well, you know, should that be a suspension at all? Should it be one game, two games? And the NHL came down and said, it's four games. And if you're a Jets fan, and, and, we, and we know some very serious Jet fans here on this show, uh, it, it's not good. It's not, but it was an absolute brutal uh, hit. I mean, that, unnecessary, totally yeah. unnecessary. Yeah, so yeah. you have to do something there. I surprised. I thought it was going to be two. I didn't think it would be four. Right. That's what I thought too. I thought it was going to be two game suspension. Four kind of shocked me a little bit. And I want to throw this out there too. And Shifley uh, just did a press conference about this. He said, "Look, I think it's excessive, but you know what? I'm a big, I'm a big guy. I'm a man. I can control this stuff. Please quit harassing my family and other people and my friends and that sort of stuff." Apparently, people have found his phone number. They've been calling him up. They've been making threats to his family. His kids have been getting harassed and that sort of stuff. You know what? Just knock this garbage off in this day and age. You know what? You want to be mad at a player? Fine. Be mad at them. Call him a hack or something like that. He can take it. When you're harassing wives and kids and that sort of stuff... Somebody needs to charge you and knock you into tomorrow. And let's be honest, too. For the most part, Shifley's not a dirty player. No. I I, I still think it was a guy who doesn't have this MO at all, who saw that they were about to go down a game to Montreal, a team that they probably should beat, but they still have Carey Price and they got some good young players like Nick Suzuki. And he saw the empty netter about to go there, and he's like, I want to hit this guy. I think he lost his mind. He was frustrated. He went out of character. But what he did... It warranted some sort of suspension. Four games in a seven-game playoff mm. series, yeah. that seems excessive to me, for that, especially with a guy with no past. Yeah. Nazem Kadri got eight games. He's got a pass. Ryan Reeves got two games. He's got a pass. Shifley's got no pass, and he got four games. It's a little questionable. How about Tom Wilson? Has he got a past? How many games would he have gotten? <laughs> well, the, the last time he did this stuff against the Rangers, when he ragged right. out our Tommy Panarin to the yeah. ice, he got a $5,000 fine. Right. He didn't get any exactly. games. Exactly. So, yeah. It's, the, it's the, so subjective. I don't know how they do this yeah. stuff. If they throw all this, uh, the potential fines in a hat and they pull one out and go, Tom Wilson, $5,000. <laughs> you are the winner. Yeah, insane. All right, we'll have more Vegas Golden Knights talk. Get ready for Game 3 a little bit later on. When we come back, Marco's hanging with us, and we're talking Belmont Stakes. There is not a triple crown at stake here, but a very good race and an opportunity to make some money. We are live from Sunset Station, T.C. Martin Ballpark. Frank, glad to have you with us here. T.C. Martin showing this fabulous Friday. Turn your head and cough. Here's the doctor, T.C. Martin. Live from Sunset Station here, the STN Sports Studios, right by Club Madrid, behind the sportsbook, great venue here at Sunset Station. Come on out here and check it all out, uh, whether it's gaming, food options, or the fabulous sportsbook, Sunset Station, the Station Casino Properties. Glad to have you with us, Ballpark Frank, or VGK Frank today, because it's game day, plain and simple. Marco D'Angelo from Wager Talk is joining us, and horse racing owner extraordinaire, our handicapper extraordinaire, and Brian Benowitz will always remind us, Marco, whatever Marco says, you go to the window when it comes to the track. Yeah, and that was a good Lucky one. Luckily, it was, it was. And uh, this is going to be the race. Uh, no Triple Crown, TC, but I think this is the best betting of the three. Yeah. I really do uh, think that uh, this is a competitive field with, uh, I can make a case it's an eight-horse field. I can give you a scenario of five of the eight winning the race. You, you remember, we talked about this two, well, three weeks ago with uh, before the Preakness, that the Preakness was probably uh, a better competitive race than maybe the Derby. The Derby with all those horses. And again, there was a lot of anticipation. You had a couple undefeated horses going into that. But then again, with post positions and 19 horses, you just never know what you're going to get. And sure enough, the race unfolded like that. And I think we had talked about this uh, before the Preakness, that this race should run more true to form. And even though Ron Bauer won, that was what, you know, eight to one, 10 to one shot. I mean, you could make a case for that horse and it ran a little bit more according to form. 
So with the Belmont, it's a longer race. You have more fresh horses that are in this race. It seems a little bit more wide open, even though you know, you, you've got a clear-cut favorite in Essential Quality who was undefeated before he came into the Derby. But again, did not get that good trip. So now he's well-rested. So a lot of people say, okay, he's good, but... Again, from what we've seen in these first two races, it does make you think that this thing is almost anybody's race. It is almost anybody's race. And you start with essential quality. He is 2-1 to one in the morning line favorite. Deservedly so. Uh, he got taken out of his race in the Derby. Uh, he caused his own problem. When he left the gate, he decided to take a right-hand turn right into Rock Your World. And he rocked uh, him right out of the race, Rock Your World, which was my Kentucky Derby horse. Uh, But then because they collided like that, he didn't get to break as clean as he normally does. Essential quality generally jumps right off the gate and then finds his spot. He had to rush up to get to where he wanted to be, and he got caught outside, TC. He ran, if you go back and look at, there's a service called Trackus that does the actual feat that a horse travels during the race he went 64 more feet than all of the other horses in that race because he was wide the entire race and still only got beat a length Mm -hmm. there was four horses across the track battling down the stretch and he was on the outside so yes he has every uh shot of winning this race question being can essential quality get the mile and a half uh breeding wise you know, on the sire side shows that he should be able to. But what people are concerned with him, if you watch essential quality, his gait, it's not the normal flow of a, a good gated horse. But yet the horse was undefeated heading into the derby. People question that on this surface, Belmont is called the, you know, affectionately is known as Big Sandy. And the reason for that is the track surface is not all dirt. There is a sand base in it, and it's a little bit deeper, and they have wide-sweeping turns. And some people say that his motion, the way he brings his legs up and down uh, rather than the normal horse, that that will tire him out a little more on this. I think people are reaching for stuff. The horse has run this way his entire life. He's, you know, it hasn't shown him any problems yet, uh, but he is one of the horses to beat. I think there is a horse that can beat him. The horse that won the Preakness, Ron Bauer, got the perfect race for him. He sat off the pace. There was a fast pace up front. We talked about the Derby, how slow it was, and Medina Spirit basically stole that race. They weren't going to let Medina Spirit uh, steal the race in the Preakness. And all of those were, they battled early, set up good fractions, and whenever he made his move, he went by the horses like they were standing still because they were, they were tired. Here's the thing. The horses he beat in the Preakness, any of the horses that he's going to face here, that wasn't in the Preakness, any one of them, if they would have been in the Preakness, would have been the favorite in that race. Mm. Much tougher race for him. And as good as he looked and he's training well, I think he's a horse you have to use on your ticket, Mm. but I don't have him as the winner either. Mm. So so who do I like? Well, I liked Rock Your World in the Derby. Do I come back with him? You know, he had every excuse. Um, Got Slammed at the start. Rosario lost his foot in the start for a second and had to regain, and the race was over for him. So, yes, you got to give him a complete pass. Uh, he will be the horse on the lead in this race. But there's going to be two horses sitting right behind him, just off his pace, and will be close to the pace with him, and that will be essential quality, be sitting probably second, and Hot Rod Charlie will be up there right behind Rock Your World in the early going of this race. And I think Hot Rod Charlie is the horse that I like. This horse finished game third in the um, Kentucky Derby. And if you remember, there was four horses across the track. When you have four horses across the track, it means there's two horses that are in the middle of the other two horses. Horses, by nature, don't like to be in tight quarters. So the horses on the inside, the stuck in the middle, it's if they raced as good as he raced, if he would have been clear, he would have raced better, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Uh, I think he's the horse to beat. And the other factor, I talk about it all the time, and it's a handicapping angle I use at the track uh, on a daily basis. When a jockey has a choice, two horses that he could ride, mm-hmm. and he picks one. The one he picks, he's picking for a reason because jockeys get paid on a percentage of what the horse earns in that race. 
Flavian Pratt rode Rombauer in the Preakness. He's not riding Rombauer in the Derby, in the Belmont. Mm. He's on Hot Rod Charlie. Wow. So am I. Good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> Marco D'Angelo breaking it down for us. Let's go back to essential quality. Like you said, morning line favorite, two to one. This was horse was talked about. He was the Derby favorite. Like you said, got the bad trip, but he still finished fourth. Like like you said, and in six races, I mean that was. The only time that he lost. What kind of effort do you think that we're going to see from this horse? Because we hear that he is very well rested. That's why he didn't run the Preakness. He wanted to set this up for the Belmont. And does a mile and a half suit him? Yeah, well, that's the question. Can he get the distance? That's that's the only question on essential quality for me. And I will have him. My top two choices are Hot Rod Charlie and essential quality. That's mm-hmm. who I have one, two. I'll be keying those two horses on top, and then I'll be mixing them mm-hmm. up. The other couple horses I uh, mentioned, the only other one that we didn't talk about that I feel does have a chance in this race is Known Agenda. That is another horse that basically lost the Kentucky Derby uh, probably three days before the Derby when they drew post the position number one and he on got the, the, rail. the dreaded yeah. number yeah. one post position. And everybody said that, you know, hey, they moved the gate out and that's not as big of a factor as it's been in years past. It well, was. You know what? It, it was, was the exact same thing. <laughs> that tidal wave from the outside came down and he ended up getting away 17th, pinched at the rail <laughs> and had no shot, but he still made up ground. He finished ninth. It. Yes. Yeah. He passed a lot of horses yeah. in that race and now, the one thing that we don't know is who is going to be the jockey, because his jockey, who is probably the best jockey in the country at this point, uh, Irad Ortiz Jr., uh, went down in a bad spill yesterday. Uh, my guess is Todd Pletcher's probably going to go to his brother, Jose Ortiz, who's not in the race, but Pletcher said he's not going to make the uh, driver announcement until Saturday. Uh, again, he's pulling a DeBoer move on who's in goal. <laughs> we'll tell you a game time. But, uh, you know. Do we know is- it's a lower body or upper body with the injury? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if we're going to keep the hockey theme there. There you go. Uh, but uh, I think this horse has a big chance to run big. And Todd Pletcher's not one of these trainers that talks a lot of, you know, no. blow smoke up. You, you know, yeah. he's, he's low key. He has been gleaming prior to Ortiz getting hurt uh, the way this horse is trained coming into the Belmont. And the one thing about it, and we talked about that track surface, a lot of these horses don't. You know, they don't like this surface. You know, it, it's different. It's not like anything else that they'll run on. The thing with Pletcher horses and why he has so much success in the Belmont, this when he goes to post on Saturday, he has three entries in this race. That's going to be 33 horses in the Belmont for him. He's had nine out of the previous 30 finish first or second. You know, he has great success in this race. Why? This is his home track. There you go. These horses train on this surface. They know this surface. They're comfortable with it. That's a big factor to consider in here, and that's why you've got to give Known Agenda a big look. When you have a race like this and you can make an argument for so many different horses, what do you do with your exotic betting in that? Do you throw more combinations in there and in, in some instances almost root against yourself a little bit for who you like because if somebody else comes in at a bigger shot, you might make more? Or or is that just like a safety catch and you're still loading up on your top choices? I will be loading up on my top choices because what it does is when you have a competitive race like this, you have competitive betting. So you're going to get good numbers. And Everybody else that's handicapped in the race is doing the same thing. Oh, I can't leave that guy out. i got to put him in. So it makes more combinations, which gives you a better chance for a payday. What I will do is a saver in this race, because we've seen this so many times in the Belmont. And this is my tip to you, and especially since it's only an eight-horse field. Get your one or two horses you like on top for your trifecta. Put them in the first slot. Then spread a little bit deeper on the second one you put the two horses you had on top in the first spot put them in the second spot as well and add a horse you know another one and then in that last spot for a saver ticket go ahead and hit the all button that's your best friend in a race like this because there's only eight horses in here and if you get one of these horses like a bourbonic you know or overtook that's going to go off at long odds and run third on there you're going to get a nice trifecta Mm. do a dollar ticket on that one but come hard with the horses you like for your bigger ticket
Great handicapping advice. Marco D'Angelo talking about the Belmont Stakes tomorrow. Post time, 3.49 p.m. We do not uh, have a, we're not going to have a Triple Crown winner, obviously, with different horses winning the Derby and the Preakness. Do we even know who won the Kentucky Derby? Uh, we, 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 we remember not. who finished first, but <laughs> we, I don't think uh, they've received their paycheck yet, right? No. And, yeah. and explain that a little bit, too. Yeah, well, the second sample uh, test came back on Medina Spirit and confirmed uh, that the horse did test uh, positive and is disqualified. Now mm-hmm. what happens is everybody moves up a spot. Mm-hmm. He goes... It only took us, what, five weeks for that, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we're talking about it, it was a difference of $1.8 yeah. million, dollars, yeah. okay, for the horse that won the race. So yeah. uh, they moved the horse up, and now that makes Mandaloon the, the winner. And what happens, and you asked me before we came on air, well, how did they do that with the money in that? They would hold the purse checks. Any racing uh, jurisdiction, you don't get your money the next day for winning a race. It's generally seven days at most racetracks. And the reason for that is because they do send the samples out and they want to wait to make sure everything is clear before they release the money. Because you don't want to give somebody $1.8 million and then... Uh, come back, uh, we you know two weeks later and say, hey, can you give that back to me? You know, <laughs> maybe good luck. So let me ask you this: with with that theory and logic, and that's actually it's the way it is. That fact that you just said that the 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 purses are not distributed until seven days. Then why do they pay betters immediately after the sign is is uh, posted official? Because it's posted official, and yeah. uh, you got to you got to give them their money then because, because have, you want them to bet the next race. There you go. Well, <laughs> because and, not only have, that, is anyone betting a horse race that they can't collect for seven days? No, I understand. And and, 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 and an industry that's already struggling in a little bit. I yeah. mean, but we that would kill it. But how many times have we heard since the disqualification from the Derby? People saying, you know, the novice better saying like, oh, does that mean that you know I, I get the money for Mandaloon? Well, no, you don't. Sorry, but Mandaloon will get the first place purse of 1.8 million dollars yes. but betters you're out of luck that's which is a shame it is and it's it's a it's a black eye for the sport you know we talked about it uh, before we went on air it's different jurisdictions every state has their own racing commission we need one governing body because right now bob baffert cannot race in kentucky he can race in california you know why is that? Well, because California has their own you know jurisdiction, and Bob's okay there and holds the a lot of clout, actually. Yeah, <laughs> I mean Bob, Bob Baffert is California racing. I mean Santa Anita and Del Mar, uh, you, you wouldn't have uh, you know he's the most recognizable face. But because this is the biggest race of the year, the Kentucky Derby, all eyes on it. It has really given the sport a black eye, and for betters. Uh, you know, think about it, guys. Until we had in the last couple of years legalized sports betting in other states, most states, the only thing you could bet legally was horse racing. Okay, Correct. Now, we know that other, those states found ways for people to bet uh, the other things, but you could only have horse racing. Now, because there are legal sports betting, this is going to hurt the horse racing market. As you said, they're already competing it's a dying breed, as most people say. They say it's an old man's sport. And for anybody that says it's an old man's sport, I tell you, once in your life, go to Del Mar on opening day. It is not an old man's sport if you ever go to Del Mar this on opening true. day. Yeah. Yeah. It would be interesting, too, and I don't know if people would want to see it or if they'd be afraid to see it. But, like, say somebody had a trifecta ticket on the second, third, and fourth place horses. Will anybody do a, a study or something and say what it would have paid if you would have had Medina Spirit out? That ticket that you had in your pocket that you can't cash? Because I, Boy, don't, know if I, I don't know if I'd want to know that I was or not say, if I had it. insult to injury, isn't it? No, no, but, but I'm saying it's like, I mean, because you'd be looking at the thing going, oh, wait, I'm glad that the millionaire horse racing owner is getting his money, but yeah. I had the winner here, and what the heck? Yeah. <laughs> at some point. Somebody is going to go to a lawyer that has one of those type of tickets yeah. and try and try to file claim, you know, and do a class action suit for anybody that had Mandolin. What if you bet Mandaloon mm-hmm. in the the futures book? You know that he was right. a big he was a big price. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you got to be sick right now, mm-hmm. but it is what it is. Let me ask you, uh, horse owner that you are, 
and you see what has transpired with Bob Baffert, and you see that he gets suspended by Kentucky, and New York immediately says, hey, he's suspended as well, too, indefinitely in the state of New York. And they're saying, we can't have this. We have to restore faith into the public in our industry, the horse racing industry. How do you feel about Bob Baffert specifically because he is a repeat offender? And those that follow the sport casually, they, just, they hear about the story here, but, but they, you know, you dig deep, you see this guy has been around trouble for years and years and years. And just in this last calendar year alone, whatever, what, five, six times, whatever it is, mm-hmm. in the biggest horse racing spectacle, it does give it another black eye. But how do you feel personally as a horse owner about Bob Baffert? As a horse owner, I'm appalled because he, on the biggest stage, hurt our sport. Absolutely. I mean, because the integrity issue of what happened uh, hurts what I just said, the trickle-down effect. Um, As an owner, and, you know, I'm a small owner. I mean, I I own a few horses. I I don't have a, a big stable like these guys. But you, it irritates you. That you're trying to survive in in a business as a small guy against the big guys who have all the advantages to begin with. They get the best horses. They got the best owners that can spend the money and buy you know well bred horses, and then they got to go that extra step and do something illegal to get in to get an added edge. That really irritates me. I'd like to use a different adjective, but I'd get to you off the air if I did that. But that's that's how I feel about that. Well, and not only that, but also one other advantage they have is because of the size of their stables, they basically have the inside track on getting the best jockeys. A jockey might ride a horse in a race that isn't one of the big, like, Triple Crown races or a Breeders' Cup race just to stay in good favor with that on, on, a, on a different race in there that maybe. That jockey on your horse makes a difference where he could win, whereas all of a sudden you don't have that availability because it's like, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to win this race, but I want to stay friends with Bob Beffert. Yes, because he's going to get more mounts from the big stable, so he's looking long term is rather than short. Big picture. Jumping. Yep. Mm, good stuff. All right, Marco, appreciate uh, the inside scoop there and the knowledge. Uh, the Belmont Stakes. Uh, one more time, give us your winner. How you playing it? I am playing it. I've got number four, Hot Rod Charlie, on top. I've got number two, Essential Quality, second. Known Agenda, number six, third. And then uh, fourth spot, it's it's a coin flip between Ron Bauer and Rock Your World. I'll have both of those on the back spot. And advantage track-wise at Belmont, it's a it's a Todd Pletcher situation there. So we're talking about known agenda with kind of a home, 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 court, home advantage. court advantage. And what about distance? Because that's the biggest thing. Most of these horses have not raced a mile and a half. Who would have the advantage distance-wise? Distance-wise, you've got horses that are bred well for this. And uh, one of the horses is another... Uh, Pletcher horse mm-hmm. is overtook. He's on the outside twenty to one. He is bred top and bottom for, and when I say top and bottom, that's the sire and the dam. Curlin and AP Indy are the sires there, mm-hmm. top and bottom, yeah. and those both won in the uh, Belmont. So well, could, could be a live one, right? Could, yeah, over overtook could be a yeah. long one. As I've said on every yeah. show I've done, thanks for reminding me. <laughs> don't you. overlook. Overtook. There it is. See? There you go. All right, my man. Uh, feel free to hang uh, with us a little bit if you'd like. You know? No All right. Is it just me or does Hot Rod Charlie sound like a Beach Boys song? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're showing your age again, but that's okay. But uh, in, your, in your genre, but uh, no. Yeah. Well, I'm in a studio where my age is appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> Hot Rod Charlie. Uh, all right, we'll touch a little bit more on the Belmont. we got more VGK tacos. Get ready for game number three tonight on the other side of the hour. Chuck Esposito is going to join us, Dr. Christina Madison, as well as fans. All of them, maskless, uh, will be invited into T-Mobile Arena tonight, 18,000 plus. So we'll talk to the good doctor about that. We are live from Sunset Station on this fabulous Friday. It is the T.C. Martin Show. Glad to have you with us.